Hello, welcome to the first Makeshift podcast. We're here in the Shedio, and I'm here with Makeshift's co-founder, Steph. Steph, thanks so much for joining. Hey, Courtney. Long time no see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steph, tell me a little bit about, you know, I, I started in May, but January through May, what were the first days of Makeshift like? Well, it was a pretty strange experience because uh, we just gave ourselves this date of January the 1st that we'd start this new company with this new way of doing things. And I don't think any of us really knew what that meant. We were just going to arrive at the, this new studio we'd, we'd uh, put the lease down on and we were just going to get started. So the first uh, little while was um, it, at the beginning of a company you kind of have this period where you kind of try to work out what you're about and what it is that you're going to be doing. So we kind of moved into this uh, old gallery that was in uh, like this really cool part of Shoreditch that I'd never really been to before. And we set up shop, shop in there with uh, a bunch of other companies that were in there. There's like a design company and architects and these guys doing software interfaces for uh, TV companies. And we just got a couple of desks for the four of us because there was me, Nick, Paul and John Gold. And we kind of just got going. The idea is that we're building all these different products all the time. So we just thought, right, best way of demonstrating what we're about is just to get stuck in. And we just started coding and started designing and started making uh, almost from day one. I mean, we arrived, we set up. There wasn't much much set up to do, and then we just got going. It was pretty rapid. So, t- like, literally, walk us through that very first day. Like, what time did you get into the office? What was the first thing you guys sat down to discuss? <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I remember that far back. Um, the Nick is fascinated by these large cardboard boards that he uses for all of the products. We have them all around the studio. And I think the first thing we did, I've got a photograph of this from the first day, is he just started filling the board with like stuff to do. They're kind of Kanban boards, so uh, in, the, in the backlog, uh, to do and done. And we just kind of wrote cards for one of these projects we wanted to do and kind of filled the wall. And we kind of spent a little bit of time just trying to plan out what what it is that we were going to be doing because the whole premise is that we're doing multiple products. So um, it felt like we kind of had to start with one to kind of prove how we were going to work and then we'd then work out what all the other projects were going to be. So the early bits, after that first day, we were kind of demonstrating our process to ourselves uh, and to others, Um, but also we were sketching up the kinds of things we wanted to go for. And we were having meetings where we were, would say, you know, I'm interested in banking. So Nick, Nick's, Nick became fascinated by banking. And so he kind of came up with this product that turned into SaveMates. Um, and, you know, we, we all had our own different interests. And we kind of just spent a load of time talking about the kinds of stuff that we were interested in, the kinds of projects that we'd go for. And... Um, Around that time, I, I mean, this was this was kind of right when we were working out the name of the company and everything. You know, we we got started, um, but actually the the company really started over um, uh, over coffee in December. So we were we we went for some lunch and had had a coffee, and we were just talking about what we were going to do in January. And back then we had this working title of the company of Good Works. That's what it was called. It was like. Doing things that are generally good. Um, <laughs> I, like, Seems pretty general. Pretty vague. Yeah, <laughs> keep it wide open. Uh, 
but sadly we discovered that um like someone else is kind of kind of working with that name in london not too far away from us it wasn't the name of the company but they had that phrase hanging around yeah we wanted something that was our own really and um it was quite funny because we were just out uh, at the pub with some friends um to, like talking about the name and um it it was a joke that someone said you, you guys just want to make shit um <laughs> Um, and that kind of thought, oh, hang on, actually, there's something interesting in that that phrase because makeshift. That's kind of the the, the idea is that we are we, we're doing things quickly and hack, in, in a hacky way. Kind of making it up as you go yeah, along. Yeah, making it up as you go along. So that was, the, you know, that was where we kind of got that. Ah, that's the word. Um, so it was a joke that kind of got us onto the real name and the real number. Who we're was doing. this guy that just said you guys want to make shit? Yeah, it was a friend of ours. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure he'd appreciate me uh, name checking him or not. So um, <laughs> he's a design, uh, a software guy who we, we used to work with. Um, but then uh, over coffee in December, uh, that kind of wide. Oh, we just want to make stuff. Hey, you know, let's just let's just look at whatever we're interested in. We kind of narrowed it down, and. Um, came up with this idea I'm not sure who came up with it I think we all we all kind of came to this conclusion that we're all we're all little guys like none of us are like working in big companies or have got that experience of working in kind of mega corporate land um, and we wanted to do things about us and about the people that we know uh, that would appeal to them and help them and kind of look at London as a place where stuff is happening yeah um, and the general thing that I like doing with those kinds of uh, projects that I've done, the hacks that I've done, um, is to kind of re-establish a bit of balance that by moving fast you can help people do things quite cheaply. Mm -hmm. And so that evolved into this concept of um, giving a leg up to the little guy. And that was a kind of dividing line where, I know that still sounds wide, like good works down to leg up to the little guy. Um, that was a kind of dividing line where we realised that we could just focus on a particular type of personal type of project sure and so that early period of, of makeshift those first few months we're kind of trying to work out what that meant what who was the little guy uh how do we decide which things to work on and which things not to work on and um the it was quite interesting because my initial reaction to makeshift was right i'll just be hacking then so arrive come up with loads of stuff make things really really quickly like a continual hackathon yeah it really was because i've been doing like a hack a month for the last six years or something yeah um the i i thought that it would continue in their vein that every week or every month or something i'd just be making new stuff um but actually what happened is we got stuck into one project we did the entire opposite of what we thought we were going to be doing and this is bitsy that was bitsy um which was a a lovely um, period because uh, rather than being scattergun, we thought, right, let's nail it on one thing, prove that we can do you know, good quality uh, software, we can build something that's usable and useful. Also figure out what it's like to work together as a team. Absolutely, and focusing on one thing. And then it, looking back, that kind of looks like a bit, a bit like a mistake because we, uh, there, was, there was that kind of, kind of company-forming bits and we weren't quite sure what we were supposed to be doing. Um, but actually, I think it might be the right thing to do yeah. because we did then work out that we were good at this particular stack and we worked out a lot of our technical stuff. And by not going wide really early on, it meant that we didn't have loads and loads of distraction. We were just working on kind of ourselves and how we were working as a team. Um, and that period over at the um, that studio, it was a bit frustrating because it wasn't our space and it felt like we were kind of camping and waiting. Yeah, sure. And we were all quite keen to move to somewhere that was our own. 
and so we did a bunch of different projects in that period. I can't quite remember which, which ones we ended up with, but I think we had Help Me Write happening in that period, and we had a couple of others. And Listerly. Yeah, we had Listerly that was a kind of... Rest in peace. Yeah, so sad. I lists know. of people. I like, loved Listerly. It, it comes up every week. I need an app <laughs> that can do a list of people. I reckon we'll return to that idea, because it is useful. It, you know, it is a useful product to have... So list. one thing I want to hear about is the chemistry between you, Paul, and Nick, and thinking about other entrepreneurs out there who want to start their own companies and, you know, when they're going out to find co-founders, what advice do you have for people in terms of the kind of people you want to build things with? What, what should you look at? Complementing values, complementing skills? There's a few principles I've learned because I've started a few companies, some that have not been as successful as others, um, and it's probably looking at the downside uh, examples that you can really make sure you don't make those mis mistakes. Of course. And that's probably the best advice just to look at the, what the potential downsides are. Um, I now, and in fact with Makeshift, I w was absolutely painfully irritating in that I paid a lot of attention to the early detail. Uh, there's a principle of... Um, uh, uh, it's, it, I'm trying to, trying to think what the, the phrase is. It's... Um, Initial conditions, I think it is. So if you pay attention to the initial conditions in anything, you can predict huge further problems by being aware. So at the beginning, when we met, um, I think it was really interesting that Paul and I just had a friendship. It wasn't the case that we had a business relationship or we were... I've done a bit of hacking with Paul, but not too much. Nick and I were the opposite. We'd actually been working together, and he was effectively my boss. He was pay paying me to do consultancy work at a, an agency. And um, that was quite interesting because Paul and I met with this very serendipitous method of him adding me to a Twitter list, which ah, is brilliant. Yeah. He, Paul comes full circle. Yes, exactly. So he, <laughs> he set up a list called um, uh, Suggest We Meet. And he's added hundreds of people to that list, and I think maybe two or three people have gone, all right, I'll meet you for coffee. But I was one of those. I just reply going, I'll go meet you for coffee, without knowing who he was um, or any of his background. And actually that set us off quite well, because then that's a friendship. That's not a, I'm not pitching him or anything. Right. Um, whereas with Nick, we had a similar kind of friendship relationship, but we got into a kind of working relationship and realised that we... Uh, and absolutely nailed it together at Comic Relief and the projects that we worked <laughs> on. And we'd done that kind of difficult forming already. So it, whereas with some companies you start and you have no idea of the people you're working with, I already had quite good initial conditions with both of my co-founders. And, you know, that's that's these are people who I've already filtered out. Uh, you know, there were, there were people who I wouldn't work with because they hadn't got on or you can see it doesn't work. The big question was, are Nick and Paul going to get on? <laughs> right. What happens when you put them in a room? So I did the quite an interesting thing is I just introduced them on an email and said, hey, guys, meet. And, didn't, and then left them to it. And I suggested they just have a conversation. And I think Nick um, impressed Paul in that he... Um, Nick, Nick's role at, at that point, he, he would describe as kind of directing the Steph laser. That's what he said to me. He still does. D he does sometimes, <laughs> doesn't he? I found it quite rude when he said that the first time. To be <laughs> like, Screw you, man. <laughs> I'll direct your management laser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But it's, 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 it's a funny idea that, you know, actually when you've got someone on the team like me and I can kind of, I can get pretty distracted and get um, interested in new things, uh, having someone around who can trim off, like, not this, not this. Well, that's the artist inside that. of you, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so sketching and playing. And sometimes you have to get serious. And Nick's role in this company is um, he has two people who are kind of cats. You can't hurt us. <laughs> you know, um, Paul is an absolute maverick and he's a visionary and he kind of sees things way, way, way ahead. He comes across as quite muted uh, sometimes, but his um, ability to see what's going on like down the line and capture trends, really think things through, um, is probably his, uh, his big strength. Right? That's why he's had two big successes. Um, and uh, Nick has this kind of brilliant kind of design brain so it's the classic. The three of us are that classic model, the, the T-shaped company, the hacker, the hipster, and the hustler. Um, that's, that's what we are. Now, not every company... Wait, so it's Paul the hipster? Yeah, yeah, no, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> and full of... Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Yeah, maybe we're all moving around. So maybe we're kind of rotating on our roles. Um, but uh, I think that's a good model for a lot of companies, is to have that... Um, and you see a lot of successful companies have that kind of strong triple founder. Okay. The Other companies, threat. yeah. Some companies, you just have one powerful, strongly minded person. I don't think that that would work for Makeshift. No. We need that kind of triumvirate um, where there's decision making that can go either way based on our passion. What were some of your hesitations before starting Makeshift? Pretty heavy duty risk. Yeah. So uh, I have children, so jumping into a thing where you have absolutely no idea if it's going to work um, is uh, something that takes quite a lot of conviction. But we've done it repeatedly. And my last company was quite a high high risk. Leaving a, I left the country, the com uh, I left the town that I was living in to move down uh, to London, um, and this felt like. Uh, less of a risk than that, actually. Even though we had backing in my last company, this feels um, like, yes, Paul is putting in a, a great deal of risk in terms of finance. We're putting in a great deal of risk in terms of our personal reputations um, and our, you know, and our ability to live and work. You know, should it go wrong yeah. and we have to close the company, then, um, you know, that's the kind of downside you have to bear in mind when you're, um, when you're starting something. Um, I was... I was a bit concerned that the three of us might not work well together because we're all such strong personalities. And I think early on we did have a little bit of that kind of storming. Three balls in the room. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I want to go this way, I want to go this way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we did do that classic form, storm, norm and perform mm -hmm. bit pretty quickly without any major fallout or problems. Um, and I've, I learned a, a different mode of working, which was to kind of set aside my own personal convictions on something um, and to listen to Nick and Paul. Yeah. So I've really become a bit more open to other people telling me what to do or which way to go. And I think they've, they've also gone that way. Nick has definitely become more open to saying, well, actually, no, this is, I don't think that. And I think that the, the three of us, just in this short period of time, have really learned to absorb information from the others and from those around us, whereas in the past we've been pretty strong-willed. I know that working with Paul on other projects, he is very, very single-minded that this is what needs to get done, whereas the combination of us together seems to be uh, that we are uh, a little bit more of the kind of management style around seeking 
opinion from others yeah. rather than going for strong personal opinion. Because, you know, the whole subject of makeshift is we don't know. It's really interesting you say that because I felt more so in this role at makeshift just like listening has been such a big theme in my personal development. I'm like absorbing so much and then thinking very deeply about what I contribute. And I think like today at lunch we had like eight people sitting on the table and it was an eight person conversation yeah. versus what like four two person conversations which sometimes happens at groups yeah. that big. I have I have noticed that actually and I think that's something to be cultivated. Those lunchtime meetings we have, um, I try to kind of put out little things Oh, what do we think about this? Yeah. Or, you know, have a little bit of a, like a salon or, you know, something like where, you, where you're trying to talk about an issue. They're always interesting, those, those meetings. And I always come away having learned something. Um, I think the, uh, thinking about the phases of the company, we're now entering this new phase because we've got our new studio. And that kind of conversation and listening thing is definitely like a big theme for us. Yeah. The, um, the room that we're now in, like the studio that we have, it like feels like we're based. We've, we've got like a. It's a little bit of a camp. Yeah, we we've got like a point, like, and we put us, you know, a, um, a flag in the sand and saying this is where we are. This is what we're doing. Um, it will be a sad day when we have to move out because uh, we've outgrown it. Yeah, gosh, I love it here. I love this shed as well. This two, <laughs> we're, two, we're sitting in a two-story shed in the middle of central London, right near Old Street Roundabout. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's utterly strange. Um, but the the point I, w I wanted to make was that the uh, the theme now seems to be that we're we're considering our own process a yeah. lot, and when we were doing Help Me Write, I was in this uh, period where I was writing up some I was finishing writing up some research and spent the last year uh, looking at hacker culture and cultural organisations and where they cross over. And that, around that time, it was published in the Guardian, um, and I put a lot of thought into that. And spent like most of a year researching this, going to hack days, thinking about hacking, thinking about the hacking method, yeah. and um, uh, that has totally, totally led to this company. I spent the whole of last year just playing, learning, and thinking about the process of moving rapidly, improving ideas, and testing ideas, and potentially proving them quickly. That whole thing has led to this, and yet uh, uh, at the end of that research, I kind of paused. Oh gosh, you know that was a lot of work, um, and it was only after a bit kind of period of reflection that I realised that the thing that we're doing in makeshift is quite unusual, and you should probably write along the way if you're doing that. Yep. And early on at makeshift, Nick Nick was doing these kind of weekly blog posts. They kind of came to an end. And pitched a product. Yeah, he's he's got a new blog now. Yeah, okay. he's doing he's writing on there. But um, we were putting out these just updates every week. Ah, yes, That's turned yes. into the newsletter. Um, uh, but there was a gap in there for kind of thoughtful process blogging, writing about the thinking around it, writing about what um, I was doing. Um, and that's really helped me understand what it is we're supposed to be doing here. So for the, for the summer, mainly it was like a three-month period, I just started writing every week. week. Yeah. Um, and which probably didn't just help your thinking process, but it also helped the makeshift brand. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, Medium is a really amazing place, and I've been writing on there and enjoying it. Um, I seem to have kind of taken a pause over summer. I just kind of stopped for a bit, uh, let my thoughts collect, and um, uh, I've kind of realised that writing about your own process along the way is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's helped us communicate what we're what we're about, and that's actually influencing what we're doing next, which is our kind of new kind of publishing thing that we're going to be putting out. Yeah, um, that's a hint there. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. You can't. Nope, put, that's it. That's it. Something about the internet and publishing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> let's keep it really forward. So, but, but let's talk about you know makeshift ten months in. Uh, you know, we're just about to hit the ten month mark, and while building tools for the little guy has been our company mission. Now it's, uh, we're a startup that builds tools for startups. Can you talk a little bit about that process change and, and what direction Minkshift's going to be going into in the next six months? The thing you have to do if you're doing this model is to be able to kill stuff. And that's really, really hard. You, um, uh, like uh, That first product we made, Bitsy, I spent four months on that. And we didn't really get the growth or the uptake that we thought we would. And the, I think the problem there is that we built something that was very consumer-facing, that was something that we thought an abstract class of consumers uh, would, well, producer consumers, would want to use. The trouble is that we didn't really have anyone on the team or anyone very close around us who really wanted to do that. We had lots of good meetings with people who were uh, into podcasting or uh, music or writing. And each of these people was very, very niche in a particular area. Um, and I think the problem was that we didn't understand that whole thing, and it was too, far too big. Yeah. And if you think about that across the board, we did go for quite a spread of different projects, um, some of which are working, some of which aren't. The class of product that we seem to be able to understand the best ourselves is, is the, um, the product that we need while we're building all the products that we need. So it's very, very meta. Um, but if you imagine we're putting out a product every month and we're learning about what we need to be able to do that. So uh, each month we've got a new hack going out. There's certain things you need in the toolkit to be able to get them out and working quickly. And that got us thinking, like, if, if we're doing that, we're going to be learning about the process and those tools. Actually, we're going to be building things to help us do it. So one of the products we built when we were back at the original studio was Wrangler, the beginnings of Wrangler. Yep. And the whole thing there was, gosh. Which used to be called Periscope. It was called Periscope. <laughs> Sadly, someone else has got a data product called Periscope. Um, the idea with that is it's our first tool for ourselves. And we've seen that it, we find it fantastically useful in the products that we're building because we've added to everything we do. So we're kind of looking at um, looking at, that at the moment and realizing that the the kinds of things we might need to be building are those classes of, of thing. So tools that help other people who are in a similar situation to us, maybe not in this kind of hyper meta uh, methodology, maybe who are just doing one startup, which is probably wise. Um, those guys will probably need similar stuff to the kinds of stuff that we're encountering along the way. But because we're exposing ourselves to a kind of wide gamut of these problems by doing it repeatedly, uh, we're able to spot the pattern. Whereas in a startup, all you do is you see one example, which is your own example. Yep. So, you know, the marketing guy coming over to the developer and saying, could you do me a report on uh, how many user signups we've had in Spain because we need, we've got a, a potential launch partner in Spain. Um, and, you know, you're looking at the data and you just can't get that out. Whereas if, you'd, if, if you had a, a, an SQL query report you could run, then that marketing person could run it themselves, for instance, or get someone external to it. Uh, and that's a real problem because, you know, that might take a month for that report to be available for that marketing person on a, on a startup team, but it's not sufficiently valuable for the, the company to invest in building a tool to help them do it. So they end up cludging. So 
by doing it repeatedly, we're spotting those patterns. Like every time we need to be doing these reports, let's build it all about reports. Yep. We're writing loads of content on uh, our blog. It's not quite working the way we want. Let's do something where we kind of rethink the way that we do, we, we do that. Um, we are constantly deploying things and you keep asking me, hey, um, is that feature out yet? <laughs> uh, and I keep going, uh, not yet, but you don't know when, when the thing goes out. So let's make a thing that sends you an email going, it's out. Uh, hey, this feature you want is out. It's been deployed. Yeah, it's, it's in production. Sure. Um, so these little tiny pain points you get along the way, those are dumb examples. There'll be some much larger examples that will come along. Um, each one of those is a potential startup. If you look at something like Intercom, which we're using in all of our products, uh, that does one job very well, and that just tells us how many people are signing up every day so we can keep, keep in touch with them or have conversations with them. It's a great product, but it is one of those examples of a startup tool. Yeah. But as you know, those guys are really valuable. They're, they're, you know, they've raised uh, investment, they've got a good team, they've got a good company. So it's those kinds of things that I think uh, we are in a good position to be able to uh, make uh, for ourselves. And by making them for ourselves, we're, we think we're kind of examples of the kind of person who would need them in, their, in other situations. So build for ourselves and build for London, build for the kind of scene around us. And I think you can then extrapolate that to New York, San Francisco, uh, anywhere in the world that's got a startup scene. And so, you know, if you're thinking like five years down the road, what are your end goals with Makeshift? Like what's the company's long-term vision? We're one of those guys, those kind of group of people, I think, that want to do this just to do this. And a lot of people will say, you know, in a few years' time, we'll have a big exit or whatever. I think because we're doing this repeated startup model, if we exit anything, then that would just be to enable us to do the next set of things. Um, I'm not convinced that we're one of these organizations that's just set up for an IPO and then off you go. Um, I, I think we're a bit more like an Evernote where we're going, right, we want to build something that has lasting impact and lasting effect. And uh, I think that the kinds of things we're going to go for are going to get more ambitious over time. Mm -hmm. We'll start small, start with simple, what look like quite simple one feature products, uh, get user growth, get people paying each month for services, um, probably have a, a couple of acquisitions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, a few years Selling down. off the products, but not the team. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's something like that. I mean, um, we haven't worked out the full strategy because we're, we're really early, um, and it would be foolish to start focusing on that rather than on making a thing that's gaining revenue uh, or gaining users, whichever way we want to measure the products. Um, I think f further down the line, the team of us, we want to have like the best place in the world to be a digital maker. That's that's the end goal. I mean, it's not a goal even. You know, it, that's just a spirit or a, uh, an idea about what we could be doing with our lives. So would you want to have like 100 people working at Makeshift who are all the world's best hackers? In the yeah, same room? That, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be like the, the, the place to go to do the best work? Yeah. That's what we want to go for. There's p p places around the world that kind of follow a similar model. Um, uh, you know, there's, if, if you make an environment where it's utterly enjoyable um, to do your job and you're doing something that has... Uh, impact for people where you can see that it's actually helping them in some way and you're getting paid for it and you're great at it then that that's like the ultimate crossover this is Zen, this, this kind of uh, Venn, Venn diagram of uh, uh, stuff that people pay for stuff that um, 
uh, we're good at. Um, uh, I forgot what the other one is, but it's like uh, it's, it's like that crossover point right in the middle of the uh, that, that Venn diagram. Um, and I think that's what we're going for. We're steadily getting there. Haven't got there yet. Um, I don't think we all will get there perfectly, but the, you can see examples of it elsewhere in the world, like IDEO, like have this yeah. um, like brilliant spirit of, of uh, like design and what de design can do for people. Um, Betaworks have that hacker vibe, you know. Let's just do great internet products. Yeah, that's that's a thing to be inspired by, and I think we're going for something similar in London. That's we're, we're in London, right? London's on the up, and we want to be like the place in London um, that's doing great work. So, yeah. just like one final question, what, you know, if you're talking to the world's best hackers out there, like, what is the best environment to be hacking in? You know, what what is what are the qualities of makeshift that you think are so important? I think we're all makers, so that's a um, a point that you can't really emphasize enough. Like, because we are all people who are writing code all the time, we're all doing stuff. Uh, it's not that we have kind of people who are investing or managing or uh, you know or or just involved in the kind of quite, quite abstract things. At the moment, we're very much on on the front. We're kind of uh, we're having to actively make the things that we're doing. And that's not to say that management and strategy aren't important, but they definitely are further down the line. Right now, it's all about doing good doing good work. Um, and the uh, I, I guess the the principles of the place are, the, are what differentiate differentiate us from others. Um, the the idea that we do value the kind of rapid hack, that's quite unusual. Um, there are other places that will say that they do these hacks, but we actually put that right at the center of what we're doing, the kind of speed and the, um, it's a kind of proto-agile. <laughs> the bit before you have anything to measure is the bit that we focus on. Um, and uh, I, th I think the experience of working here is one where you have quite a wide variety of opportunity. So if I look in the room today, people are working on, on a kind of wide variety of projects in, a different, in, in lots of different ways. Uh, what I always find is that I go through different modes as a creative person. Sometimes I like just thinking about new stuff and kind of sketching and playing or you know, or sometimes I like to do some public speaking. Sometimes I really, really like headphones on, four months, absolutely nail it on a product. Or sometimes I think about the, you know, shifting a direction on something and doing something to one side of a product to see where it might go in the future. Or you know, sometimes it's about efficiency and scale. Now these different modes um, are the kinds of things that you often find in companies, but you'll, they'll be a bit siloed. You'll end up with people who are just working on a particular part of the puzzle. And I think that makeshift, um, the way that we're going to be building it is we're going to enable people to come into the, uh, the company, to be part of it in lots of different ways, and have the opportunity to move around across that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you want to be hacking, but sometimes you're a bit fed up of hacking because you're not getting anything out and you've got no users, no feedback coming back. So you want to work on a, on a longer term product. And we, we hope that we've got that environment. So we'll have this kind of mix of these long term products that have been proven and have users and we're going after revenue and growth and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then we also have these kind of experimental toys that we're going for, you know, like Linky Dink, this new thing we're making <laughs> that just lets us share links with each other. I What's think we've that? probably dropped like 
15 product names in this <laughs> yeah, podcast. People I, are just going to be Googling. I think so, yeah. That's, I don't think that one's even out. So, hey, if you've listened to the end of this, yeah. then you've found out about something before anyone else has. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening, and uh, welcome to our first podcast at the Shedio. We haven't decided on the name yet. I think that's the, the, the working the title. The Shed Scraper, the, the <laughs> Shedcast. I don't know. We'll work it out. All right. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you.